In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today I'm joined by AJC, former Washington correspondent Tamar Hallerman, who is now here in goal at the AJC Enterprise team. Tamar, how's it going? I think Greg misses me if he's still inviting me onto the politics podcast. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're still covering some political yeah, issues, which we're going to talk about today. But before we do, we're, we were talking off air and we're going to try something. We were, we were talking about your dating life. Yes. And and an interesting situation you got yourself into. So we'll, we'll go back to this at the end of the podcast after the political stuff. But before, we'll propose a question. If you go on a date with someone and it doesn't go so well, do you ghost the guy or do you tell or him lady. why? Or lady. Do you ghost the person or do you, or do you tell him why or her why? So, or do you make up a reason? There was recently maybe some first-hand experience, not with me, because I've been happily married for, I don't know, I've been with my wife for 19 years now. But for Tamar, there's an interesting uh, recent situation we'll get to. But first, the, re- <laughs> the real reason why she's here, we're a, little, we're a little giddy today because it's been a long couple weeks where I don't think most of either of us have gotten too much time off. And, and it's sunny out for the first time in days. I am. I am. We're, we're, we're recording this on a Friday, and I'm itching to go for a long run. We'll see how that goes. But first, this podcast. And you had a very interesting story in the paper the other day about the return of a very controversial piece of legislation. Exactly. So one of my new subject areas, one of my new beats at the paper is covering LGBTQ issues. And as I've been meeting people on the beat, I've been asking them what are some of the more kind of urgent things people are looking out for, especially when it comes to the legislature and the legislative session. And everybody was very nervous about the return of a bill that we've seen debated in one way or another for really the better part of the last decade, but kind of seriously since about 2017, right after Governor Deal vetoed the overarching quote-unquote religious liberty bill. Um, basically, it's adoption legislation that has to do with with whether, you know, how, how much of a, a carve-out, how much of an allowance are you going to give faith-based groups um, that, that might not want to work with LGBTQ couples. So we call them a, a religious liberty-inspired legislation. And, and to be clear, it's not the same thing as the religious liberty bill that we've been writing about for so many years that Governor Nathan Deal vetoed back in 2016 under threat of all sorts of boycotts and economic repercussions. This is different. Can you talk about the difference between those two bills? 
Yeah, this has to do specifically with adoption legislations, child placement agencies doing things like foster care that are getting money to act on behalf of the state. Um, the state arm that's in charge of all of this is very much spread thin, so they end up contracting out with a lot of these different organizations. Many of them are religious. You have some that cater to different sectors of the population. You have ones that work with Christians. You have ones that, that really focus on getting older foster care kids adopted, perhaps people of color, you know, working with families that are, um, you know, of color. So there are all these, these different groups that work. This specific language that we've been talking about um, basically would say that, that it's okay to give state money to groups that only want to work with a certain segment of the population. And so what do supporters say? I mean, do they, they kind of cast this as a way to, to bolster religious values? Exactly. And they're saying there, there are, you know, adoption or child placement groups that want to come into a state like Georgia, but, but maybe not, might not want to because they don't think that their religious views will be protected. If these are groups that believe, you know, a family should be, you know, it should be a married couple and it should be a man and a woman, that's possible, you know, or, or yeah, the fact that you have a two-parent household, or it could be that they only want to work with evangelical Christians. Got it. Um, so it, pu it, puts the, it puts critics in a very interesting position because what, what do they say? They say this is discriminatory. They say this is anti-LGBTQ. They say this is even, I saw the, the Anti-Defamation League said that this could, this could allow um, anti-Semites to say you can't, you can't uh, adopt uh, Jewish children. Exactly. They're, they're very nervous about who could be excluded from all of this. As you mentioned, um, you know, religious minorities, um, atheists potentially, single parent households where, where there's one person who, who really wants to adopt, but especially LGBTQ people who, who for years have, have had to contend with a lot of these Christian groups who, who don't necessarily want to work with them. The, the real question, though, is how much this bill would really kind of change what's mm -hmm. happening on the ground here in Georgia. Um, some of the advocates I was talking to who, who are against this legislation, they're saying there's nothing right now that's stopping a lot of these private groups contracting with the state from turning LGBTQ people or, or others down. Um, but they're worried about what could happen, certain unintended consequences, or they're, they're nervous that, that faith groups could feel even more emboldened to kind of set their requirements. And you interviewed a gay couple that was having all sorts of problems adopting a foster child, right? Well, so so this was a gay couple that adopted um, a couple years ago, and they were mentioning how when they initially got started with the state, this was in 2017, two years after the Supreme Court legalized um, gay marriage, but they were saying they went through the list that, that the... Um, that the state had given them of adoption agencies that they were working with and just calling place after place after place and finding only really one that was willing to work with a with a gay couple. They were able to successfully adopt a, a son and they're, they're doing it again with a pair of brothers, but they were mentioning how, um, you know, it, it just sends a message to them that perhaps the state um, doesn't want people like them to be parents. And, and it's a real sore subject because, you know, if you look at the statistics, people will point to the fact that, that gay couples are, I've seen anywhere from four times to seven times more likely to adopt a child or to foster a child compared to, to straight couples. Now, the sponsor... Marty Harbin. Uh, Marty Harbin. He, he has proposed religious liberty bills in the past. He's proposed, he's floated this idea in the past. Um, and... 
this is legislation that he has the bulk of Senate leadership, Senate Republican leadership behind, right? Exactly. Um, and, and that's really important to be able to get mm-hmm. through the chamber, but also create a sense of momentum going into the House. Um, and, and initially, Speaker Ralston seemed kind of hesitant about doing anything about this leading into the session, but he was pretty quiet when this bill was announced last week. He was. He wouldn't comment on it. He said he hadn't read it yet. He said he was still pending legislation. Behind the scenes, I, I think he's. I've heard he's much more critical of it. But of course, it only matters when you say it publicly. Um, and Governor Governor Kemp also has not um, said anything really pro or con this legislation. He has said essentially that um, he has not ruled it out. He's not trying to preemptively block it like we saw Governor Deal do in the past. Instead, he's saying, hey, this is not one of my priorities, but I'll, I'll be willing to talk to, to lawmakers about it. Yeah, and two things going off that. You hear what Senator Harbin is saying, and, and his reasoning, he's like, look, anything that could increase adoptions, he thinks this could help, why not try it? And, and what he'll say is that you know, gay couples can go to other agencies that'll work with them. I think what these gay couples will say is there's not a ton of places that exist in Georgia that will work with us. Uh, why are you closing the door, making it harder for people like us to adopt. So there, there's that kind of question. But when it comes to Governor Kemp and what he is and is not willing to support, you know, in, in the past that this debate was shelved back in 2018 when Governor Deal was in charge. But I think a lot of us, you know, looking back at the 2019 legislative session where abortion became all of a sudden the dominant issue, that, that wasn't necessarily something that was on our radar going into it. So I think that's why we're watching this adoption debate thinking this has the potential to be a really sharp, divisive thing that comes out in an election year where both sides really want to appeal to their bases. And so far, this has been a legislative session dominated by budget, you know, which is the one thing lawmakers have to do every year is pass that budget. Um, and it's been a big, bitter back and forth it looks like, though, and we talked about this last the last podcast about the tensions. Looks like those tensions are starting to calm down a little bit. You know, by the time you hear this, they might have roared back up again. But there looks like there's a sort of compromise. The governor relented on some issues. The house is is kind of forcing its stand on some other issues. But essentially, one of the things the governor did is he sent his top budget planner back to lawmakers and say, hey, this time he'll he'll actually answer some of your questions rather than giving you the sort of the cold shoulder. So at the same time, with that is with the budget looking like it's still a giant important debate and still could take all sorts of twists and turns, could there be could this or another surprise issue emerge and kind of dominate the, the final weeks of the legislative session? And there, there's definitely a choice to make politically in terms of kind of what you want to tell your base, or at least to, to maybe it's get, an election your, here, exactly, right? get your base excited about something that you're doing, something like budget cuts. You know, maybe conservatives agree that the budget needs to be slashed, but there might not be agreement about which programs you're going to go after. And that leads to some pretty tough headlines, and you're really kind of segmenting out your base. So so in theory, religious liberty is something that really gets your base going, and, and at the very least, it's a great, great headlines for your party. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, because when we've polled religious liberty... Um, the general overall issue with AJC. We haven't done it in a couple of years, but it, it didn't have a groundswell of support, even from Republicans. Um, but when you go to those grassroots breakfast meetings in Harrelson County or the Georgia GOP convention even, and when those when those really, those are the backbone of the party, those are the people who knock on doors and make the phone calls and, and, and donate um, at least some of the, the big chunk of the money that candidates need, um, down ticket candidates need to, to run campaigns. When you go to those meetings, it's very important to them, religious liberty in general. And so important that after Governor Deal's veto of that legislation, there was an active move in the Georgia GOP um, 
to sanction him or to criticize him in some form. And several county GOP um, apparatuses did do exactly that. So that shows you, even though it's not on the tip of the tongues of, let's say, you know, your 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 average voter maybe, um, and, and many average voter many many voters are, are, are dead set against it. To a lot of Republican grassroots folks, it's still important. It's a great litmus test for for certain you know religious conservatives, and you see with Donald Trump, one of his core constituencies was evangelicals, and then you know that could be seen as an issue you know a winning issue for his people. It's also worth noting that some of the loudest opponents to the religious liberty bill in 2016, and and we're seeing again now with this adoption legislation, immediately statements from the Georgia Chamber and Metro Atlanta Chamber. This is something that they they worry about could lead to all sorts of repercussions economically for the region. Folks threatening to boycott the area. We saw in North Carolina after they passed their their bathroom bill in 2017, sporting events saying we're not willing to to you know go there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that the business folks came at it so quickly against this because as we noted last year, um, they sidestepped the entire abortion heartbeat bill, right? They stayed out of that debate. They said abortion is not where we're gonna we're gonna you know let, put our capital. Um, it's a it's a personal choice. It's up to lawmakers. But when it comes to this issue, something that they are very worried about. And you're right, they're they're wary of what happened in Indiana and North Carolina and you know other states that kind of went down this path. Um, with different legislation, let's let's be clear, very different legislation, but still led to all these threats of boycotts. And, and we all remember in 2016 where it seemed like every day there was another company or a sports team or a league or high-profile, uh, you know, figure, corporate leader saying that they wouldn't do business in Georgia if religious liberty legislation was signed. Exactly. And, and it's going to be so interesting to watch this issue. We've talked so much over the last couple of years about suburban women and how Republicans are putting so much attention on winning that group back. And, and in general, they're not fans of, of Donald Trump and a lot of his policies. So if you look at that, a lot of these women are in Metro Atlanta. They're coming and working here. Is this something that, that folks want to take off the table so you're not going to upset that group? Or is it something they think it's worth appealing to the, the base in, in more conservative parts of the state? And at the same time, if you look at the Oh, these lawmakers are crafting the bills, the 236 lawmakers, 180 in the House and 56 in the Senate. Most of the Republicans are in safe Republican districts, right? They're, they're in very comfortable territory where the only thing they have to worry about is a Republican challenger. And they do have to worry about that a lot, right? There's Republican challengers out there, for some of them looming, who are saying that, you know, the incumbent's not doing enough to promote conservative values. So they are under pressure to do even more than what they did last year on the anti-abortion bill. And so what that could manifest, how that can manifest itself will be really interesting because it might be, you know, something with adoption, but it might be taking an entirely different form. Exactly. And, you know, there there were more suburban Republicans until 2018, but many of them ended up getting wiped out in the Stacey Abrams election. So there, there's fewer and fewer people to kind of push back against that side of the party. What I've seen from Governor Kemp is his um, state of the state speech was narrowly tailored to four or five different issues, right? His budget, like teacher pay raise, um, foster care legislation that had very little, had nothing to do with this religious liberty provision. Um, it was all about making it easier for some foster kids to get adopted. Um, there was anti-gang legislation, sex trafficking legislation, you know, a focus on some broadly supported issues that, that would be hard for Democrats not, not to vote for, not speaking about any sort of social legislation. Um, so... That's his priorities. It doesn't mean that 
other legislation can't slip through. It doesn't mean that he can't amend his priorities and suddenly come out in a week and say I, he's also for something new. And this is a man who campaigned for the Republican nomination as, as very much a conservative, you know, with his pickup truck and the guns. We talk about it all the time. He signed a pledge to, to, to sign a religious liberty bill. He, exactly. The 1993 or 4 mm-hmm. bill that, that President Clinton signed. So, you know, certainly there will be members of his base who are saying, hey, you promised us while you were campaigning that you were going to do this. And that's why we're watching this bill so closely. It's worth noting that this is separate legislation from what um, Kemp is proposing for his foster mm-hmm. care, but sometimes it's very easy for things, something to get added on as an amendment or, or for two issues to merge. So it's something we'll be watching really you're, closely. You're exactly right about that. I mean, there's lots of lots of uh, chicanery, lots of lots of crazy maneuvering happens the last couple days of the legislative session. And um, this is one of those things that can be tacked on as a provision. And if um, Senate leadership wants it to be right. It, it, that's that's how it goes. It just and then it gets voted in the House, and there'll be a back and forth. And if governors' adoption bills are held hostage by this, you'll see a lot of hardball negotiating going on. Oh yeah. Well, let's get to the question that we <laughs> we opened with because I don't. I, I have not been in this situation. Greg is so analog. I know he met his, his sweetheart in, in college, but you guys actually met in high school. We met in high school. So you have never had to, to open the Pandora's box that is online dating. No, no J-date or Tinder or whatever. You know, I've, I've lived vicariously through friends, but you're telling me the story off air about, um, well, you tell it. <laughs> <laughs> about a, a not-so-great date that I went on recently. And I, I knew pretty quickly I wasn't interested in going on a second date. And Bluestein was saying, oh, yeah, you can totally ghost him. him. So, like, from my perspective, and again, I this is not the world I live in. It's been a very long time since I've had to worry about this. But if it's been four or five dates and you want to break up, you've got to have that conversation. But if it's been one date and it didn't go well, it's like, see ya. I don't think I owe this person anything, but I do think it's it's nice. I, I hate it when I get ghosted, so I just think it's it's nice manners to be able to say, hey, look, I wasn't feeling it. And I find, much like I do with readers, whenever I get a nasty email with somebody disagreeing with what I say, just responding and saying, you know, in the case of the state, hey, I got kind of a friend vibe. I'm not interested. Or in the case of readers, <laughs> you know, hey, thanks for reaching out. You know, I hear you. You know, let's talk about why you don't like this story. I find 95% of the time people are super graceful and actually it's okay. Okay. It ends up being okay at the end of the day. What about when it doesn't? And and, and ex- extend this to the readers. What about when a reader? Because <laughs> I get a lot of those emails too. <laughs> We're saying this guy was a few years younger than me and was a little insecure after I told him I wasn't interested. And I had to really talk him through it over text. And I felt a little bad. And then the next day I was working at a coffee shop and ran into him, of course. Because already I've been in Atlanta for three months and this town is too small. So it's kind of like when a source and you are clashing over a story and you're like, okay, put it behind you. And then the next day you see him at a press conference. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for delving into your personal life. All of the political, you know, listeners can now hear about my dating life. Exactly. (laughs) You can live vicariously. There's going to be a a separate show all about... (laughs) Tamar's Guide to Dating in Atlanta. (laughs) Well, Tamar, thank you for joining us and for sharing your personal insights on whether or not to ghost after a first date. You're clearly a better person than me because, yeah, it would be... (laughs) Message Bluestein your your thoughts and observations. I'll let him filter them back to me. (laughs) GBluestein at AJC.com. Thanks for listening, folks. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com slash politics for all the latest in Georgia news. 
I'm Greg Bluestein signing off. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.